My favorite band, Waterdeep, which I've talked about many times. If you haven't listened to any Waterdeep yet, it's been over three years, guys. You should go be listening to Waterdeep. But uh, Waterdeep has a song entitled Secret Lives. Secret Lives. It's a favorite of mine because it rings very true to life, I think. And it goes like this. Everybody's got their secret lives. All the way from the ocean to the desert, a million stories dying to be heard. But once they open up their mouths, they know they will never be the same again. So they hide. Everybody's got their secret lives. It's true. It's one of the natural consequences of our sin and brokenness. Uh, We carry pain. We carry pain that we have caused other people, and we carry pain that we have suffered from others. And our way of dealing with it, of coping with it, is to keep quiet. As Waterdeep says, to hide. Why do we do this? Well, because we're afraid. We're afraid. We're afraid of being hurt again, right? And we do this unconsciously because it is a part of our programming, really. Okay, this is just something that, we've, uh, that we are built to do on one level, and that is that our instincts tell us we need to protect ourselves. It's that natural self-preservation. We want to survive. And that instinct is in all of us before we learn or experience anything in life, right? It's our nature. So there's that part of it. But then there's also the nurture part, what we learned from interacting with others. And most of that emotional and relational knowledge gets learned actually before we can even remember. Uh, Lots of research has been done to the point where if you have a baby, it becomes common knowledge. They keep telling you the most important years in a child's life are zero to three. That's what they tell you. Because they know that that is when you form most of your fundamental emotional understandings of the world, of how it works relationally. You operate according to that, too. So from zero to three, you learn that either the world is a safe place where you feel secure, you have a sense of security, you're cared for, you matter, uh, there's compassion for you and your experiences, or you might learn uh, the other side of that. There's a sense of insecurity, there is neglect and rejection, or uh, you're alone. These are things that uh, we learn before our earliest conscious memories most often. And so it's practically also a part of our programming. You just unconsciously operate according to what you learned as an infant and toddler. And most often, in fact, I'm just going to say all the time, because no one in here uh, has perfect parents, and none of your parents had perfect parents, and you're not perfect parents, you know, and on down the line, etc., etc., etc. We learned very early on that at the very, we're going to be hurt sometimes in life. Okay? All of our needs are not going to be met. Even if we had the best parents on earth. No matter how unintentional it was, they still hurt us. Because they were broken. And we're broken. And that's not even to mention our siblings, which I had too many of. I'm just kidding. If you're listening, guys, love you. Um, tons of siblings, uh, or your aunts and uncles, or whoever. You know, whoever you're exposed to as a child. And I say all of this not to depress you, but to give us a more accurate picture of what we're working with before we're even able to make conscious choices. 
and we have a default setting. That's what I'm trying to say, that is both from nature and nurture that tells us we've got to protect ourselves. Being vulnerable can be dangerous. So we hide, at least on some level. That's our knee-jerk response. And since we're in church, it's important to note that this is also true theologically as well. All right, the Bible bears this out. Ever since the Garden of Eden, uh, when our ancient ancestors, Adam and Eve, fell into sin by believing the lie from Satan that God was not trustworthy, you couldn't trust him, we have all done what they did, which is we hide when we are afraid we're going to get hurt or we're going to get in trouble. We hide. It's a mission of self-preservation that we've been on, okay? Hiding to protect ourselves. And our passage today reveals more of the same. It is a conversation that Jesus has with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. That's the context of John 3. And the setup for our passage today is that Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the night. He has come to see Jesus in the night, under the cover of darkness. He wants to ask Jesus a few questions. And it's clear that he does not want to be seen talking to Jesus. He doesn't want his Pharisee buddies to know, and he doesn't want the normal crowds, the regular people to know either. He is curious, and he wants to hear more from Jesus, but he's scared to be found out. He is hiding. And you can imagine being in his shoes, okay? Uh, He feels like he has a lot to lose. Just think about being him. He's a Pharisee. And his friends and he have been taking a hard line with Jesus publicly. You know, after all, they have to maintain order. They've got to preserve the law. And Nicodemus doesn't want to undermine their position. You know, he doesn't want to create doubt about where the Pharisees stand with Jesus uh, by seeming sympathetic to Jesus. And Jesus, for the record, doesn't seem concerned at all about preserving the status quo that they are concerned with. And on top of that, Nicodemus has his own reputation to maintain amongst his friends and his, the regular people out there. He's, he's still more worried about self-preservation than the truth. But he is curious, praise God. And Jesus knows all of this. Jesus knows all of this is going on for Nicodemus. And he does what he does all the time with people who come at him from a place of self-preservation. This is what Jesus does time and time again in the gospel. When you come at him from a place of trying to preserve yourself and what you have, he does this. He goes right after you. He puts his finger right on the place where you are putting your faith in order to protect yourself. He points out what you're hiding behind. In Nicodemus' case, we can see him do this by the questions he asks him and the things he tells Nicodemus. Uh, Nicodemus was hiding behind his knowledge. His theological chutzpah. You know, he is a Pharisee after all. He's one of the most trained, educated people in all of Israel at this time. And Jesus tells Nicodemus this thing that just confuses the heck out of him. He says, Nicodemus, you have to be born again if you want to see the kingdom of God. That is the only way. And Nicodemus is befuddled. He doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. He rightly recognizes that that is impossible. You know, I'm an old man. How can I be born again? But Jesus doesn't let up. He says it to him again. I tell you again, unless you're born again by the Spirit and water, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then he asks Nicodemus this very direct question. Are you a teacher of Israel 
and yet you do not understand these things? He exposes Nicodemus, okay? Jesus wants Nicodemus to see that what he's trying to protect himself with, what he's hiding behind, isn't actually working. It's not going to give him what he hopes it will give him, and that is the kingdom, to be welcomed into God's kingdom. The only way to get into the kingdom of God, Jesus says, is to be born again. And that is an impossible thing for Nicodemus and for anybody else to accomplish. It requires nothing short of God's miraculous work. And that's where Jesus takes him, okay? That's where we get to our passage today. Jesus tells Nicodemus the heart of God in our passage today. He tells this God expert who God really is. And how God really operates. He tells him that God's love is the active force in the universe. That it's God's love that changes everything. It is the change agent in our world. Because of his love, Jesus says, God gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is consistent with what we heard last week when we heard Jesus tell the parables of the sheep and the coin that God seeks after the lost. He is actively coming after us, which is what we're getting excited about for Wednesday when he broke in. And this is a revolutionary teaching from Jesus. And you can hear it in Nicodemus. He's just like, what? But Jesus is setting Nicodemus and all of his theological expertise straight, okay? And we often do this with this passage ourselves. We take this passage out of its context. You know, it's at football games, right? The John 3.16. You know, it's, we take this out of its context and we want to use it as purely referring to the meta narrative of God and how he operates. And that's true. Jesus is telling us how God operates on a large scale. But it's important to remember that he's also teaching a person right in front of him. He's talking to a particular guy who came to him in a particular way and has particular issues. It's Nicodemus's situation that Jesus really highlights in our passage today. He says, whoever believes in God's son is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. And then he says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what's true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. Jesus says a lot here and we're going to unpack it, but I first want you to see what he's doing with Nicodemus right then. When did Nicodemus come to Jesus? At night, that's right, in the darkness. He did not come in the daytime. He did not want to be seen. He's still hiding. So while Jesus is talking on a large scale about people in general, he is also using Nicodemus as his prime example of all humanity. He's getting very personal, and he's applying it then to all of us. You came in darkness, Nicodemus. You came in fear. You are afraid of the light. You're afraid of me. And remember, this is what we all do, 
okay? So I want you to hear that he's talking specifically to this guy, and then he, it branches out and it applies to all of us. Everybody's got their secret lives. That's how we started. And we know that if we open up our mouths, as the song says, and we share where we really are, we will never be the same. Because you can't take it back, right? Once you actually share the darkness, you share the things that are going on in you, uh, it's, you know, you can't, well, I was just kidding, you know? You know, sometimes I think about doing this, and people are like, what? You're like, I was just kidding, I don't really think about that at all. I don't know. Never mind, let's talk about the Steelers. Um, You know, once we open up our mouths, things won't be the same, and that scares the hell out of us. The best illustration I have for this uh, is our beloved palmetto bug down here, otherwise known as a cockroach everywhere else on the planet. But the palmetto bug, uh, we are like palmetto bugs. We're like cockroaches. When you turn the lights on, what do they do? They scatter. They go running for their lives. They run for the shadows. Wherever they can find a nook, a cranny, anything, they're like, ah, get out of the light. They take off. Uh, it's because they f- they've got to find some place to hide. Because otherwise they're exposed. And when they're exposed, they're vulnerable. And they're right. What happens to a palmetto bug when it's sitting out in the open in the light? It gets stomped on, right? It meets your shoe in a very unhappy way. And um, they get smacked. And so that's why they scatter for the darkness, to run back into hiding because they're afraid they're going to die. Light means death for them. And that's how Jesus describes us here. That's how he describes Nicodemus here. We hate the light because we do not want it to expose our evil works. And now this is where you make your final stand, okay? So I just said, we don't like the light because it will expose our evil works. Now, this is where we, you know, we get our backs up and we make that last self-defensive effort against the onslaught of Jesus. And we say, wait a second, Jesus, hold on right there. My works are not evil. You know, I've never killed anybody. I pay my taxes, you know, whatever you think is good. Uh, I, I'm a pretty good person. I vote. You know, our self-preservation kicks back in. I'm not evil. That's just a little too far, Lord. What are you talking about? And now he's got you. He's got all of us right where he wants us. All right? Because you've got to remember who he's talking to here. He's talking to a person, and that person just happens to be a Pharisee. He is literally a professional good guy. That's Nicodemus' job, you know, to be a good guy. He works his butt off every day to make sure he's doing the right thing. All he is about is about keeping God's law all the time. That's all he thinks about. And yet Jesus says to him that his works are evil. He does wicked things. How can he say that? How can that even be true? What's he talking about? What has Nicodemus done to deserve such a scathing assessment? Well, Jesus has already told us when he's addressing him. He says that he hasn't believed in God's only son as the only way to eternal life. Nicodemus has done just what all of us do, naturally. You know, we put our faith in our own efforts. We hide behind our own goodness. That's what Nicodemus is doing. That's why Jesus goes after the Pharisees the way that he does, because their faith is located in some place other than him. 
our ability to do the right thing, to be a good guy or a good gal. And that's why when we hear Jesus call our works evil and everything like that, we scatter. We scatter back to that place, back to our self-defense. That's what I was saying. When Jesus says your works are evil, it's like, wait a second. And you start pointing to how you're not evil. Just like a cockroach runs for the darkness, okay? We try really hard to be good people all the time. And we do good things, but that's just it. As Jesus said, unless we're born again, we cannot see the kingdom of God. That's the only way. We need to be reborn of the Spirit and made new by the love of God that enters into the darkness to find everybody that's hiding there. We need to be saved. Saved from that default programming I talked about at the beginning. Saved from that sense of self-preservation. We need to be saved from our good works when we put our faith in them because the only thing that saves is faith in Jesus. That's it. That's why Jesus goes after us the way he does. And that's why he says to Nicodemus that those who do not believe stand condemned already. That's the wording he uses. They stand condemned already. They're already condemned because they're still stuck in the darkness. They're putting their faith in themselves. They're still hiding. That's our default state. And as Jesus and Paul and many other writers, the psalmists say, we're dead in our sins. We're those lost sheep we heard about last week, the lost coin that can't do anything about its situation. We're the cockroaches running for our lives back to the shadows. And this is the painful part, okay? You might be like, really? We're only getting there now? Um, This is the painful part. The only way that that changes is to actually suffer the fate that every cockroach is terrified of. We actually have to die. That's the only way. There's no other way to be reborn other than to be dead first. And this is why Jesus said this is the judgment, that the people loved the darkness rather than the light because they wanted to hold on to what they thought was life. Okay? They wanted to hold on to what they thought was life. As I said, the cockroaches are running for their lives. They think they're protecting something. They think they're preserving something that's worth saving, but it's not true. All that we're preserving when we hide from the light is our own denial. The false image. Remember what we said Nicodemus was worried about? Worried about losing his reputation. Worried about uh, losing his, his, the fact that he's a good guy. Worried about the perception that people have of him, that he's got it together, that you're not all that bad. But all the while, you've got your secret life. All the while, you've got those dark places that you don't want to be displayed on the Jumbotron. Like, what if we put them up here? I'm sure you would run out of the door screaming and move to California. You know, you don't ever want people to see all of those things that go on inside your heart and your mind. We're still hiding. It's the way the rest of the Waterdeep song goes, okay? They sing this. Maybe it won't be the same. What is there to lose that you can hold on to? I mean, really hold on to. What is there to lose that you can hold on to, really hold on to? The answer is nothing. The only thing that we lose when we are brought into the light is our denial. Because the truth is... As Scripture tells us, the truth is our worst fear has already come true. 
Our worst fear has already come true. The Bible describes us as dead in our sins, dead on arrival. We are already dead. That's what Jesus just told us with Nicodemus. Whoever doesn't believe in the Son stands condemned already. Already. That is where we already are. Remember that we're lost. And any time we put our faith in anything else and try to defend ourselves in any other way is just displaying the fact of our deadness. That's why we need to be saved. That's why Jesus came into the world. That's why we remember Christmas 2,000 years later is because God gave us his only son not to condemn the world, but to save the world. That's what Jesus is telling us. This is the heart of God because he loves us so that we might be found, so that we might be given new life, so that we might be born again. Just like he told Nicodemus, he's telling him, I am the one who's going to make you alive again. I'm going to give you new life. I'm going to save you from the condemnation that you already sit in. Remember how the song went. All the way from the ocean to the desert, a million stories dying to be heard. We are desperate to be known, right? I mean, it's what all of us are looking for, looking for love in all the wrong places, you know? You know the song. We're desperate for love. We're looking for somebody that's going to know us and not run for the hills. We're desperate for somebody to know our darkness and to love us there. To be set free from our own prison of self-preservation. Because that's what it is. You keep those walls up and then nobody gets in. It's very effective. But the problem is, is it leaves you completely alone inside. It leaves you isolated and afraid. Not free. We've got those secret lives. And Jesus wants to bring his light there so that you experience his forgiveness there, so that you know healing there. That's the thing that none of the palmetto bugs believes could ever happen. You know, they have no clue. They're like, forget it, man, we're out. And they are taken for the hills. But it is in the light where the new life lies. It is on the other side of that death that we're totally afraid of. Remember, Jesus has not come to condemn, but to save. He's come to save those who already stand condemned in their sin. That's what he does. That's what he does to Nicodemus. He goes right after him. And he says, this is what you're doing. And I'm the only way. Stop running. He wants us to stop running. So that we might finally give up and recognize him as our savior. And that is what happened to Nicodemus, okay? This is not the last time we hear about him. He's, he shows up again in John. This encounter with Jesus, where he was brought to the light, where he was exposed, actually results in him coming to believe in Jesus as the only Son of God, as his Lord and Savior. John tells us in chapter 19 that after the crucifixion, there's two guys that come to get Jesus' body. It's Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Both Pharisees, by the way. They come and they ask for Jesus' body so that they can prepare him for burial. And Nicodemus pays for all of the spices and the ointments, all the wrapping, all that stuff. It's all him. He brings all that and he wraps our Lord's body and he helps place it in the tomb. 
That's what happens to this man who's been brought into the light, who came hiding, who came afraid of Jesus. And what he found was his Lord and Savior. He found freedom. That's the new life Jesus promised to him. Now, Nicodemus, we see his works not in the darkness. We see him in the light, wanting everybody to see that he stood for this guy. He loves this man who died. His works now are carried out in God, as, as Jesus said, those who love the light. He was born again and now is a disciple of the true God. And this promise, this same promise, is true for you today. Wherever you're hiding, wherever you are you know, still on that self-preservation trail, wherever your secret life is, know that Jesus already knows it. And he is already there. He is. He knows everything about you, even if you aren't aware of it. I mean, that's happened to me, where I've been in such denial that I had no clue that I was struggling with stuff. And then I got married. And, uh, and then I became aware of a lot of things that I was struggling with. And uh, because that's what the Lord does. He shows us our stuff through each other. In the relationship, he shows us and he breaks our denial. He wants us to experience healing in the places where we're still hiding. That's the love of God. He is already in that place. And he's going to bring you into the light to heal you. It's a promise to him. He's come to save you from the darkness. To save you from condemnation. No more hiding. I promise you it won't be the same. And that's really good news. Because what is there to lose that you can really hold on to? You've got nothing to lose. All you've got to gain is new life. That's his promise to you today. That's why he came. That's why we're celebrating Christmas. Because he came to find you in the darkness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this great truth. That you are the God who brings light into the darkness. You are the one who comes after all of us who stand condemned already in our sins. You have come to take that for us and to set us free. You have come to heal. Lord, I pray that you would do that in each one of us. Like Nicodemus, I pray that you would go right to where we're hiding and that you would bring it into the light, Lord, so that we can actually be free. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the fact that you are a God who does just what you say, that you bring life out of death that you cause us to be reborn. I pray for that rebirth in each one of us this Christmas season. And I pray, Lord, that you would then use us to go share that with other people, that we would be messengers of this awesome news that you have come to set the captives free. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for this Christmas season. We pray that you would meet each one of us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.